is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey is denied again, and Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through! Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Hello and welcome back to FUVFC, WFUV Sports' best, if not only, soccer podcast. I know we like saying this across the board with our WFUV Sports podcast, but it is my pleasure to welcome two of the most esteemed guests FUVFC has ever had, if I may say so. It is myself, James Burley. I am joined by my longtime friend over on Five on Three, Nick Palmer, who is going to be cutting it up, kicking it about on the soccer waves today, my man. And then we bring it over to the Italian stallion, Marco Bullione. Marco, I'm going to start with you. How are you doing, my friend? Better since I spoke with you. Oh, man. I appreciate that. Nick, what's going on, kid? That that dude, that was a killer intro. Like I'm I've like I've I've thought about all the intros that you know I've done for five on three that you have done. And that that has to be up in like the top two or three. So right, well, well that's, done. That's the goal here, you know. Just just be top three, you know? Yeah. Uh top top two or three. I'll take that, man. I'll take that. We're gonna get right into the soccer talk because we don't have a lot of time today, given that this is a virtual episode. It is summertime. New York City may not be our home right now for all of us. Nick, I'm looking at you and myself. I'm not in New York. So with that, let's talk about an even further place than where you are, Nick. Europe. Let's go all the way over there. That's pretty far. We were talking, this is going to be a mostly North American episode because those are my favorite types of episodes. But with that said, the European football calendar does not stop, even when it's the offseason. It's transfer time. That includes a lot of American players, the likes of Eunice Musa, Weston McKenney, Christian Pulisic, Brendan Aronson, all on the move. Ethan Horvath joining that group of players. But let's kick it up with the big six in England, the biggest one so far, not apart from the departures out of the big six, joining Manchester United from Chelsea, attacking midfielder Mason Money Mount. And this is an interesting one because I didn't see this coming at all. If there if there's ever been a time to uh, move on from players, Chelsea are there. And they've made that very clear. They are sending players all over the place now. And Mason Mount joins not a rival, but a massive, massive club in England. And I can't wrap my finger around why this is the direction. If they're getting rid of their midfielders that Manchester United decided to go. Nick, I'll give you this one first. What do you make of the Mason Mount move to Manchester United? Well, here's the thing about United is that I don't think they have exactly as much money as they 
need to throw around for Mason Mount. I don't like love that from them. Um, I mean, literally in the 2021 season, they posted losses of like 115 million pounds or something because they played those games by like during the pandemic or whatever. So they're already sort of in a hole. And I don't really know about that. I mean, look, we saw like this max exodus from Chelsea right now. And I get that United at being like a top six, like sure you want to pick up one of those guys. Um, But, you know, very talented player. I think it'll help the team. Does it bring them into the top three, four conversation? No, I, I don't think so. Marco, thoughts on Mason Mount joining Manchester United? Honestly, when we say football became a business, Manchester United is, they represent it. They're at the forefront of it because they just, it's so weird how they just, it's literally all money. They just spend and spend and spend and spend some more and they just get worse and worse. And football has gone down a lot over the years and players have gone down because it's all about the money and they don't really care anymore. And there's no class. It's, it's all about the paycheck and the tattoos and the lifestyle. And it's, it's such a mess and, I don't think it's going to change anything. They could sign anybody. Nothing's going to change. They're still going to be the awful team that they are because money, throwing money at the problem doesn't do anything. Money is a tool that can help, but not like that. Like that, it will just make things worse for them. I mean, well, eat your heart out, Manchester United. Going after Mason Mount, throwing money at the wall. And I think you speak to a bigger truth there, Marco, that the the troubles with Manchester United go so much deeper than the selection of players that they have. It is a cultural issue that no manager since Sir Alex Ferguson has been able to correct. I believe that me, maybe this is the United fan and me coming out, but as something of a Manchester United fan, I saw steps in the right direction under Eric Ten Hag last year, and I think that while the Mason Mount move doesn't exactly fit into those crop of players that he would like, it is another indication that we are going to try to bring in creative midfielders. And for the longest time, Manchester United, until I would say they brought in Bruno Fernandes, they were not doing that. They were just going after six, after six, after six, after ball playing eight. At one point, their entire midfield crop, they they went from, under Herrera to Pogba to Nemanja Matic to Morgan Schneiderlin to Marwan Fellaini to Fred to McTominay. And now that we're seeing a different sort of trend, yeah, they still brought in Casemiro as an important player, one of the best defensive mids in the world. But I think a step in the right direction for United, as for Chelsea, in the great words of Tobias Funke. All right, they're having a fire sale, in case that didn't come through great. That was a longer the longer clip than I anticipated. But Chelsea had um, an awful year, to put it bluntly and accurately. And not only have they lost N'Golo Kante and every one of their defenders and presumably their goalkeeper and presumably a striker as well. What, what do we make of – what does this say about Chelsea Football Club? Before we move on, to talk about some soccer happening stateside. What does it say about Chelsea FC that this is the direction they're taking, shipping all these players out with Mauricio Pochettino now as the manager? Is this the start of something new for Chelsea? Or are they, because they they fell, fell into the Manchester United blueprint last season, throwing money at the wall with Mudrik, Joe Felix, Enzo Fernandez, 
and I would say two out of the three of those have really hit the ground running. Um, is is this the start of something good in Chelsea, or are we going to see more of the same lackluster performances with these big money spendings not fitting up to the bill? Because I don't think they're done. I think they're going to use this 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 cushion that they've gotten now, sixty five million pounds, to spend more. So Nick, I'll go back to you. Is Chelsea going to turn a corner, or are we going to see more of the same? I I honestly couldn't tell you, and and. Chelsea is one of those like head scratcher teams where you don't know because they are so prestigious that they have to have something cooking in the works and and they do now have that cushion as you mentioned um but man did they lose some good players like even even look I I said Mason Mount isn't worth it but he does have a lot of qualities that I think work well um that Chelsea will be missing out on I know he's coming off of like his worst year um, I think he only netted like two goals and three assists or something in 14 games. He had that injury or something. Um, but th- I mean, his 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 play off of the ball and his spatial awareness is sort of what he's good for. And I think that he'll find a lot more success outside of Chelsea right now, um, specifically because there wasn't really a spot for an eight like him on that roster. So, you know, Chelsea's losing all of these players that maybe didn't work so well together. Maybe blowing it up and trying again will be the right solution, but there's really no way to know right now. Marco, if, would you like to echo Nick's point here? Like, do you do you feel the same way that maybe it was just Mason Mount wasn't gelling? Or was it more that maybe he's not as good as some people might think he is? Uh, I, I, I go back and forth on Mount personally. What, what do you think? Yeah, he's not he's not the best player. He's all right, I think, but more than that when you know, they're just tumbling down and they've been going down ever since they won the Champions League and that's that's why so many players are leaving. And I think he's just another one that's leaving and he gets a bigger offer from a team that's somewhat better at the moment and that's really why he's leaving. There's no other reason, I think. Yeah, and I and you know what? I I think maybe Mount has gotten a bit more flack than he deserves because dealt with injuries and, you know, was a big part of England's team at the World Cup. And people thought maybe Phil Foden should have been a bigger part of that team. And I was one of those players or players, fans who was thinking, well, if you want to beat the U.S., throw on Phil Foden, we will not have an answer for him. And they didn't do that. So that maybe maybe if you want to direct more criticism at Mason Mount, look towards Gareth Southgate or Frank Lampard, who really loved playing Mason Mount. And, you know, I think maybe a move for Mason is going to be better for him personally. For Manchester United, we'll see. And for Chelsea, we will see. Speaking of a player who plays in between the lines, though, in Mason Mount, you you point, you talked about his spatial awareness. So two teams that are below the playoff line in Major League Soccer. Oh, boy, are both the New York teams, the New York Red Bulls and New York City FC. New York City FC, Nick, this is your team. They are unbeaten in seven matches. Are, is that a cause for celebration? Oh, I hate you so much. Um, yeah, yeah, they haven't lost in seven games, James. That has to mean that they're playing well, right? Sure, surely they're, they're they're playing. Oh well. my god, this like <laughs> I I am I I love all of all of the teams that I support. I support them when they're losing. I'm not like that bandwagoner. But when games become like unwatchable because you know that 
the team is not performing anywhere even close to the level or have like a glimpse of that hope, it's so tough to watch to the point where I'll put it on and I'll just be doing something else because I know that I will be inevitably disappointed. Um, NYCFC are struggling because they don't have... It's it's so easy to look back and be like they lost Tati Castellanos and like yeah that's that's part of it. Um, not having Ronnie Dahlia anymore, I think Nick Cushing, look he was fine as an assistant. Do I think that he's top boss quality? No, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, a lack of a coherent nine with the, uh, Talis Magno unfortunately doesn't really get the job done there, and so you have all of these holes that are just so lacking from their 2021 season that at best you can classify this as a reset year. I mean, I know they're only about what, what five points out of the playoff picture at the minute. They can make that up and it's better that they're getting one point rather than zero, but they are losing in all of these most excruciating ways. Um, In their last game, I, I, or it was uh, yeah. In their last game, they gave up that what 94th minute goal to tie it. Um, they beat Montreal, so that must mean that they're headed in the right direction, right? The the win over Montreal was was a welcome victory, especially because it came on the road at Stade Saputo in right. in Montreal, which is one of the hardest places to play in Major League Soccer. They did have the benefit of playing in July when it's actually warm, so that is that is a, definitely a bonus for City. And I think you hit the nail on the head that yeah, they don't have a clear number nine. But you can't point it all at the departure of Tati Castellanos. There is enough quality in and around this team to be firmly in a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. And that's just not the case. And I look across the river to Harrison, New Jersey, and I'm thinking a lot of the same things. Um, But with that said, the, the Red Bulls did not see their top scorer, perhaps the greatest player in their club's history. I would go as far to put Castellanos in that boat for NYCFC and their best manager in history go at the wayside last season. That, that happened to city that did not happen to the Red Bulls. That happened to the Red Bulls in 2018 when Jesse Marsh up and left for Europe. So I see similarities in the patterns because it's major league soccer. It's a graduatory league, but I look across New York city and I, and I, and I think that there's just no coherent identity as to how this team is supposed to perform and win games. Yes, they're a possession-based side. They build up from the back. They're the best team at getting the ball from their own goalkeeper to the opposing team's attacking third. Probably in the entire Eastern Conference. I don't know about the league. I think the only team that I would put them behind in the Eastern Conference is maybe Columbus in that category. But what they struggle to do is break down teams in the final third. And that's where a guy like Tati Castellanos would be so valuable for obvious reasons. But when you have... Gabby Pereira and Talis Mag, they should be able to put it together and pick up the pieces in between. That's not happening. There's rumors they're going to bring in a, a striker. Um, they're trying to keep, I've been trying to keep my ears to the ground about who it's going to be. They're just trying to be very, very silent about this. It's supposed to be a Balkan player. I don't know. It's supposed to be a very good striker. We'll see. We'll see when we see. Maybe he gets here before the stadium gets built. Nick, if you want to go, jump in. Yeah, I, I will say I have been very happy with how Barraza has filled in this year, especially in, you know, the shoes of Sean Johnson departing. You didn't really know if you'd have solid goaltending, and that's what he's brought. Um, I think 
a guy like Matias Pellegrini has a good shot of stepping into his own role. Um, you know, I've been very happy with uh, Thiago Martins. I think he's really been underrated. Uh, I would like to see maybe a little more from guys like Sands and Parks. I, look, I love Keaton Parks. I think he has an incredible ability to um, just out physical people. And you see that a lot in his play still comes across with a couple of mistakes. I've seen him miss a couple sitters. Um, maybe he doesn't get in the right position for a header on a corner, but you know, there are flashes of brilliance. It, it's just a severe lack of consistency. And even in that uh, Red Bulls game against the Columbus crew, I, I don't think the Red Bulls played all that poorly. I was honestly okay with their effort what they they lost uh two to one right two one yeah yeah they lost two one um and you know i i would say i was pretty happy with how they played offensively i think those two goals they could probably clean those efforts up um but columbus is famously difficult to play against especially when you're on the road so i don't fault them too much for that i think they're both nycfc and the red bulls they're sort of in the same spot for me. I don't know about you, Marco. Yeah, I would say NYCFC is definitely a – they're a solid team, and you see them play at home. And I don't know if it's just when I go there, but they play well, and they usually win, and then they go away, and I'll see they lose 4-0. Or, yeah, it's just – um. I think having those seniors when Lampard was there and Peter Lowe was there helped a lot. And ever since they lost that, stadium's empty. It's just not the same. Red Bulls, on the other hand, it's more populated. I always see the stadiums are usually pretty full or fuller compared to Yankee Stadium. Also, being at Yankee Stadium is a big disadvantage because nobody goes there for soccer. So it's already split in half. So I would say the Red Bulls are always going to be a bigger team. But I think NYCFC has a solid foundation. And just being New York City, and that attracts big names. And, yeah, that's something they haven't done in a while. Get a big-name player like they did with Lampard, Pierre-Law, and David Villa, who was, he, he carried them for years. But he helped them a lot, and he gave them a name, and he gave them a lot of followers on Twitter. Mark, I got to have you on more, man. Just to hear the words, the Red Bulls, bigger club, and NYCFC, oh, it, like, come on. That's that's good stuff. That's good, good stuff. And I will, you know, to echo a point about the stars of yesteryear, if you will, David Villa, former MLS MVP. I mean, did he ever score at Red Bull Arena? No, but he was a big-time player, won a World Cup in 2010. So that was very much an important important part of nycfc's history but to go into 2021 with a completely different identity and then winning mls cup albeit in a weird year with covid they still did it they went and did it they did it on the road two penalty shootouts their keeper came up big and i'm glad you brought up barraza because before this season started nick i thought matt freeze was being brought in to be the starter and that is not the case. Barraza has come, stepped up and have been a bit above league average in goal, which is more than you can ask for after being spoiled for year after year of having Sean Johnson. And longtime NYCFC fans will remember when the club, the inception of the club, Josh Saunders was the goalkeeper. and He was just absolutely dreadful. So I think in goal and across the back, as long as Tiago Martins is healthy and Maxime Cheneau is 
is playing at his best because he can be he can go up and down too. When Chano is on, Martins is on, and that back line is sound, then they usually don't have any issues. As as shifting gears now to the red half of New York, it has been since that international break in June started, which we're gonna talk international footy in just a minute. So don't click off the video if you hate video, click off the podcast if you hate MLS. Um the Red Bulls turned a corner after that awful 3-0 loss right before the June international break. And that was a game that they went down 1-0 at halftime. And it felt like, well, if we didn't concede that one goal, we could be in this game. And then they started the second half, immediately got a red card, and immediately took a penalty. And it just felt like, ugh, it's going to be another one of those games at Red Bull Arena. Since then, they came back down 2-0 at, at, at the half against Charlotte to tie it 2-2, a game that they probably could have won. They decimated Atlanta United. 4-0 at home, place where Atlanta United have never won, never won at Red Bull Arena before. And then going to Columbus, playing well, equalizing before the half, but giving up that really disgusting Cucho Hernandez back heel. I don't know if you guys saw that little flick he scored. Yeah, You should check it out. It was pretty dirty. But to play that way against Columbus on the road, look, you, they need the points against Eastern Conference opposition if they do want to make it into the playoffs. Looking at it now in 11th, with 25 points and 22 games played is NYCFC one point off of the ninth place playoff spot. But Montreal in that ninth spot have two games in hand. Also with two games in hand are the Red Bulls in 12th, 23 points, one win and a Montreal loss. And they could catapult into the playoff position as well. MLS is such a forgiving league. This playoff format really grinds my gears as someone who wants the best from teams and wants teams to push it more because it's no mystery that MLS is pretty weak when it comes to how good you have to be in the regular season versus post-transfer window versus the playoffs. The Red Bulls and NYCFC could very well both be benefactors of that forgiving system. Before I bloviate about the New York Red Bulls, they play the New England Revolution on Saturday. NYCFC plays the Columbus Crew in Columbus on Saturday. That's a, this is a tough game. That's, those are two very similar styles of play the very possession-based style of Columbus versus New York. Neither of those teams like to play incredibly direct. It's going to be a chess match that's going to go on in the middle of the field. Meanwhile, the Red Bulls at home against New England are going to put all sorts of pressure on that back line, especially with Dewan Jones playing with the U.S. national team at the Gold Cup. I foresee positive results, actually, for both New York teams. Believe it or not, I think New York City can go on the road and do what they do best, and that's get a draw. And I know that may sound like a like a backhanded compliment, but on the road at Columbus is a big deal. For the Red Bulls at home, I believe they continue their good form of performances, and they get a win against the Revolution. An upset, both of those would be upsets, unlikely results. But maybe it's my New York area bias. I see both of these teams climbing up the table and replacing each of DC United and Montreal in the playoff race. It's midseason. It's July 6th. We're just past the halfway point. Nick, do you believe either of these teams make the Audi MLS Cup playoffs? I, I think they both make the Audi MLS Cup playoffs. And, and you know what? With with regards to this upcoming match week, I, I think, yeah, I'm I'm honestly a little bullish on the Bulls for, for, for that one. Um, but if you remember the last time City played the crew, it was at home. I think they were playing at City Field. Um, and they were down 1-0 for, I think it was like 65 minutes. 
and then Gabe Siegel. Big, um, yeah. On his birthday, really I believe, uh, netted a 94th minute goal to tie it. And that's what felt like to me where I thought, okay, you know, after that brutal game in Salt Lake, it's so hard to play up there after that terrible game against New England and then that embarrassing loss like streak where I think it was Philly and Cincinnati. It was like getting pretty ugly. And that's where I thought, okay, maybe they can right the ship. You know, they beat Montreal, you draw Charlotte. Now you're going back to the crew. Maybe you pull some of that momentum with you. Um, I th- I think they both make it. I think that they both have a shot. And I, I've been honestly really impressed with the back half of the field for the Red Bulls, especially guys like John Tolkien. I think he is fantastic. Um, not to mention, um, you know, the fact that Dylan Nealis has been an absolute tackle machine. I think he's fantastic. So honestly, I think that the Red Bulls have better building blocks to maybe propel themselves with good play all the way up and down the field. Um, I think City might have to get a little luckier and rely on some individual star performances to kick them into gear. Marco, are you ready to put a prediction uh, on either of these teams making the playoffs? Or do you want to you back out because it's too early? Which we'd understand. No, I'm going to have to agree with Nick. I think both New York teams are going to go through. I just think for the occasion, yeah, even though Columbus is better, I think, yeah, I just think it's the occasion and we're going to see a New York derby. That's how, that's my feeling. It would just – sometimes it's not always the better team that wins, but there's two New York teams and you, you just have that feeling that they're both going to go through. And 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 it's there's history there. The Red Bulls, 13 years straight in the playoffs – if they make it for a 14th year, it wouldn't. wait, wait, how how many how many did they win? How many playoff games total did they no, win? No, no, or... no, 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 not, not <laughs> playoff. Because the answer is, uh, I believe, in the last 13 years, they've won four or five uh, games. Oh, n- <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I meant MLS championships, my friend. Zero, zero. Oh, 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 that. Okay, that's what I thought. None I was just, I was just making sure. Okay. Um, but if I may, those 13 is tied that 13 years is tied for MLS an MLS record 14 would break it and it, it's also the longest running active streak of any North American professional sports team making the playoffs mm. because Nick and you'll like this one the Pittsburgh Penguins missed the playoffs this year and the Red Bulls took the record from them they were at was 16. that 17 16 they would have been 16. 17 I believe you, you know what maybe... one thing sorry go, go ahead no no you no, all you, you. I was just going to say it might have been 17. I could be wrong. Well, I was just going to say one thing we can all bond over is how much the Columbus crew suck. Because in 2008, if you can remember, I I remember. And it's just never fun playing against them. I dislike them heavily. Yeah. MLS originals, they go back, I believe now, after um, they just beat the Red Bulls last weekend, they have played 101 matches across history both of them i could i don't have that number correct but i know that they have the exact same number of wins against each other so it is a story it is a storied rivalry that maybe isn't bound by geography but bound by history which is something that american soccer does not have a lot of shifting gears to more american soccer the Concacaf gold cup is well underway we've just completed the group stages and we had some interesting things here to say the least in Group A, the hosts, the United States, topped the group seven points. They opened it up with a draw against Jamaica, then a couple of 6-0 wins against St. Kitts and Nevis, 
and Trinidad and Tobago. That's four countries technically that they that they beat in two games. So there you go. Trinidad and Tobago, St. Kitts and Nevis, the United States of America on top. That 12 plus 12 goal differential really helped. Jamaica finishing second in Group B. Mexico topped the group, but they lost to Qatar in the final match day, which meant that Qatar took took it from Honduras and Haiti. They go through. Haiti really shot themselves in the foot in the final match day. Former New York Red Bulls homegrown and Patterson, New Jersey native, whose sister plays for the Fordham Rams. Let's write Derek Etienne Jr. His sister, Danny Etienne, plays for the female Haitian national team. And that's crazy. Team at Fordham legend, local legends. But he did miss an important an important sitter. Um, and now Haiti did not go through, unfortunately, for the Caribbean island nation. In Group C, Panama topped the group seven points. They are becoming one of the classes of the region once again after missing the 2022 World Cup and replacing the coach, Thomas Christensen, in. They've looked much better. They were in the semifinal of the Nations League, outplayed Mexico in the third place game. Costa Rica finishes second, winning on the final match day. And then Group D, perhaps the most interesting, Guatemala tops the group over Canada because they not only drew Canada, but they beat Cuba and Guadalupe on the final match day at a packed Red Bull arena full of 25,000 Guatemaltecos going absolutely berserk for what is one of the craziest matches I've ever seen. That's just a brief recap of the Gold Cup. The U.S. play the Canadians, team they just defeated in the Nations League final just a couple weeks ago. Now they have Canada. It's a B squad for both of these teams. Canada, less so, I would say, but they've looked terrible. Absolutely dreadful. The United States looked bad against Jamaica and then obviously looked great against both of the Minnows in Trinidad and Tobago and St. Kitts and Nevis. I think they run through this Canadian team, not only because Canada were terrible, but because the U.S. showed signs of growth. Now they're going to be confident, and I have no reason to believe that this Canadian team can trouble them because defensively, this, this U.S. team, if not for a blip on a free kick for Jamaica, has been defensively very, very sound. Marco, I'll throw this one to you first. U.S.-Canada, do you see the U.S. progressing? Do you see maybe I'm being a little too excited about them, given that they just played St. Kitts and Nevis of all teams? What do you think? Just just let me, let me, let me know if I'm being an airhead right now. Yeah, I think the U.S. is definitely going to go through just have a lot of momentum right now. And yeah, overall a better team. They have some, I think Pulisic has been doing well. He played really well against Mexico. So that's, that's always a player that, you know, he can win the game by himself. So I think, yeah, the U S for sure. It would be, I mean, they'd really have to not show up to not win a game like that. I mean, yeah, I th- I think the U.S. are totally fine. I mean, Jesus Ferreira, what, that was his second straight hat trick in back like... Back-to-back hat tricks back to back. Trinidad and St. Kitts, yeah. Oh, man, against some... Look, okay, I don't... Look, They're I'm calling not, him I don't the pirate because he scores I against the Caribbean teams. I don't want to throw shade at all of these lovely islands in the Caribbean. Um, but to be fair they were supposed to be routed by them and they did. So, you know what, that's getting the job done. But I mean, Ferreira, I think besides Landon Donovan are the only players in men's national team history with three career hat tricks in international play. 
So that's kind of nice for him. He gets to join some elite company. Um, but yeah, I think the U.S. played extremely well. Um, and, you know, didn't they play Canada in like mid-June, something like that? They won 2-0. Um, now Greg Berhalter, you know, I think he is settling into the role nicely. They're 3-1-1 and in their last five matches against Canada. I see no reason for them to lose, um, especially with the fact that uh, Canada's missing some players. I know they're missing uh, Alfonso Davies, obviously. Um, he's like the big name. Uh, I'm missing Jonathan David as well. But yeah, I, I think they should have no problem cruising past the Canadians. And then, I mean, it depends who they play in the final. It's either going to be, I would say, Mexico or Jamaica. I think they handle either one pretty nicely. So I think that you can feel good uh, about America going the distance yet again. And, you know, that really should be the expectation when they play CONCACAF opposition. Even though they are without their best players because it's the Gold Cup and that is generally what the players who play in Europe um, after a very long season and now playing with the U.S. and Canada at the Nations League maybe don't really want to continue to put stress on their bodies for a full month if they don't have to. It is a completely understandable decision. Both the U.S. and Canada bring mostly MLS players with this team. Um, and even with that, you should still expect the United States to reach the final at the very, very least in this competition. And I think that's the standard. Now, with that said, the standard should be reaching the final and winning it every time. You are the United States and you are playing inferior opponents most of the time in this tournament. But Mexico, until that game against Qatar, were making statements, not only because... They won big against the likes of Honduras, who are a disaster. I will say that Honduras were once probably the third or fourth best team in this region. They are very far from that. Then they went and took care of business against Haiti. They brought a strong enough team. They brought some of their best players in and around each position. So you have to expect them to be the total favorite throughout the Gold Cup. However, the United States played some pretty, pretty soccer and if they can do that against some more dangerous opponents, like a Canada, who I would say, even without their best players, even without their Davies, their David, and what have you, they're still probably the third or fourth strongest team here, with the exception of Jamaica. So to have Mexico, Jamaica, Canada, and the U.S. as your quote-unquote top four here in this tournament, and one of those two are going out in the next round, because Jamaica plays Mexico, there is, for me, a reason to believe that this U.S. team are the favorite overall, not only because they've established themselves as that in the region with the Nations League and with going the, being the only team to make it out of the group at the World Cup. Um, I really like their odds not only to reach the final, but to win the whole gosh darn thing. Before we switch gears, we're going to talk about the women in a second. Nick, final thoughts on the U.S. MNT's Gold Cup chances. Yeah, I, I think we said it all about the U.S. I do think Jamaica are a little bit of a dark horse candidate here, uh, especially because they have some Premier League stars on that team that oh, you don't necessarily think about. You know, like Mikel Antonio off of West Ham. Uh, you got guys Demari like Leon Bailey, Aston Villa, Demare Gray on Everton. Yeah, so you, you yeah. definitely have some star power up there. Um, but I'm excited about this women's team, too. I, I, th I think they have a good shot in the uh, World Cup coming up. And one final thing I'll say about Jamaica, just because just because I love talking CONCACAF, 
is that they've been in and around the top half of the Gold Cup before. Only the U.S., Mexico have, have won the Gold Cup. Canada did it once. Mexico has won it eight times. The U.S. has won it seven. Jamaica were in back-to-back finals in 2017-2019. They beat, or excuse me, 2015-2017 and 2019. Sorry. They beat the U.S. in the semifinals in 2015. In 2017, they beat the Mexico in the semifinals. In 2019, they were in the semis, lost to the U.S. So they have been close to achieving this goal before. They played the U.S. in the quarterfinals of 2021. They got bounced out. Unlucky quarterfinal draw, but they have what it takes to reach the final. This is the best crop of players they've ever brought to this tournament. And if there was ever a time you look at the U.S.'s players where Jamaica thinks they're licking their chops at maybe we can finally win this thing, I would say is this year. They outplayed the U.S. for most of that game. And if Leon Bailey scores a penalty in the first half, they go up 2-0 and probably take all three points. So I'm glad you brought up Jamaica. I'm glad we're going to end there before we switch gears because Jamaica is also going to the Women's World Cup. They've been there before. We got the U.S. in Group E. Excuse me, this back-to-back champs, the U.S., uh, back-to-back-to-back finals appearances for the U.S. They're joined by Vietnam the Netherlands, and Portugal. We've talked about this before, but we're going to remind you what the stakes are here. They play Vietnam first, who are debutantes, who qualified through a play-in in the Asian uh, Women's Cup, which is, a, they do it differently, qualifying in the men's and women's games. I don't know why. They should just do it the same for both. But instead of having their own qualifying tournament, they do they rope in qualifying into the regional tournament and because they were knocked out in the quarterfinals and then had a play-in, Vietnam are at the Women's World Cup. It is a very strange way of qualifying, but they made it by the skin of their teeth, and they're going to get destroyed in that first match. Four years ago, we saw what happened when debutantes Thailand played the U.S. women's team in the first match. That game ended 13-0. to nil. I forgot about that. Yeah. It, 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 was, it, was, it was forgettable because six games later, the U.S. were lifting the trophy over their heads. People forget... People don't forget who finishes second place. Uh, people, sorry, people do forget who finishes second place. Speaking of which, in their second match, the U.S. plays the team that finished in second place in 2019, the Netherlands. A replay of the final. They're going to be without Vivian Miedema, who's probably their best player, one of the best players in Europe. And even with her, I still like the U.S. to take all three points. And if they can do that before the third match against Portugal, not only will they have confirmed their place into the last 16 but they may have also topped the group by that point, which would be huge because then they can empty the bench a bit and take off some of the pressure in that third game. And anytime you can get your legs under you at a World Cup, any extra day you can get is just so, so beneficial. So, I mean, I think we might have lost Marco here permanently. I'm not sure if he could make it back. He's having some technical issues. Nick, I'll go right back to you. Before we play Portugal in this third game, do you think the U.S. will have six points in their back pocket and a firm, firm hold onto the top spot in Group E? I think so. I, I'm, I'd give them about a 70% shot to beat the Netherlands because these are the top two seeds and they're playing in the middle of the group stage. Um, and they played them in the final in 2019, I believe, in Lyon, France. Um, and that was... And then also during the Olympics, they played each other. Uh, they tied each other in the quarterfinals. And both teams were not, I think, playing at their peak. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, 
in they're playing in New Zealand, right? That's kind of cool. Yeah. All three um, of the U.S.'s uh, group stage matches will be between uh, Wellington and Auckland. Right. Um, so, yeah, obviously the U.S. has won back-to-back going for the three-peat. Um, I would say they looked better in the first two going into it than they do now um, because, you know, recently I feel like they've been sort of expected to just turn on, like, beast mode. And that didn't happen in the Olympics. So that's what kind of worries me a little bit because um, they really didn't look good. Uh, but I, yeah, they're the favorite in this group. I feel bad for Vietnam getting tossed into this group because really Portugal, the Netherlands and the U.S. is not a pretty sight for I think they're ranked like 35th or something like that. So really not looking good for Vietnam going in, looking good for the U.S. Well, and it's not like they need it to look good. Right now, we're in a, we're in a stage in the game where every other country is improving at a, at a drastic rate. And it's such a beautiful thing to see. So great to see stadiums filled in Europe to watch the women's game. But now that puts a target on the U.S.'s back like never before. Look, they already had that. They're the only women's team to have won four World Cups. There have been eight, and they've won four. So that's a pretty big deal. For that to be the case now, back-to-back, while every other team's getting good and there's this sort of renaissance in the women's game, the target just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So for me, this World Cup, it's not only about a changing of the guard for the U.S. because Carly Lloyd's not going to be there. And all of these names that we've come to associate, Tobin Heath is not going to be there. Well, I mean, Hope Solo wasn't there. Hope Solo. And going back even further, Abby Wambach, you know, Christine Rampone, these names are very much a part of the past. Megan Rapinoe will be there. Uh, Becky Sauerbrunn was supposed to be there, if not for injury, the captain, the heart and soul of this U.S. team. So for me, it's not only going to be about can the younger players step up? Can Trinity Rodman, can Sofia Huerta, can Naomi Naomi Gurma, if she's called upon, will they step up? That's a big question. But for me, it's a bigger question of, The mentality of this group as a whole, it has looked so, so strong on the last three World Cups. At the Olympics, it did not look like that. It looked like the opposite. It looked like a group of worn down, beaten individuals playing for a coach that they don't necessarily believe in. In the time since that, there have been losses. There have been wins. In 2023, there's not been a loss. Vlako Andonovsky has got this team looking good again. Not great, but if they can sort it out at the World Cup, if they can appreciate playing with that target on their back like they have so many times before i see no reason why the u.s women's national team can't go back to back to back and that is what i'm looking forward to most champions being champions and i'll tell you right now the united states women's national team are a group of champions they've earned that title and they will earn it again come the end of august nick we don't have marco to say goodbye to but we're going to thank marco bullione for being the freaking man and joining us today for his third podcast appearance on FUBFC three times the charm Nick my man we got to talk soccer together how did that feel dude what what more could you want this is only my second time on FUBFC um but talking soccer with you James Burley it it, this this made my day this made my week no this made my month this made my month James and it made my summer you know it made my summer 
And I hope um, we get to do it again. Oh, well, we will. I will. I will petition Julia Moss immediately. That We're going to let her know. We'll let her know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. I'm just thinking about all the all the potential soccer content now that we can, can fill, fill this up with. Let's go to some games. Make some let's content. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. I, I'm let's so there. It. I'm so there. Well, OK, that is just going to about do it a little bit longer than we wanted to go. But we had to talk everything we had to talk about. We did a little bit of European transfer talk. We didn't talk about anybody more than Mason Money Mount, but we did that. Um, Neymar to NYCFC question mark uh, no exclamation point he's a Red Bull athlete not gonna happen guys Messi yeah. to MLS is imminent the Gold Cup final is imminent the Women's World Cup is imminent and we're in the middle of Major League Soccer season so it was a good episode Nikki P thank you for joining me I'm James Burley for Marco Bellioni who couldn't be at the end of this episode with us we are saying so long and we'll see you guys next time FUVFC is a production of WFUV Sports.